Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, Scott, how are you? I am well, James. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. I'm really excited because we actually have a question from... (laughs) Listeners, are you not excited? I'm, I'm pumped. I'm sorry. No, I was excited to hear what it was. I didn't mean to cut you off there and, and, and interrupt. But yes, don't let. I, I'm I'm equally excited. You're not I nearly promise. as excited as I am. But um, <laughs> listeners, we love to get your questions, so we can um, help you with any questions that you have. Please submit them um, through the site. All right. So here's the question for today. Um, it's so. Uh, Someone's decided, we, we here, specifically, here's what it is. Um, we've decided to engage a financial planner that is a CFP and working for a registered investment advisory firm because we understand there are numerous conflicts of interest we can avoid by doing so. What is the difference in the services and resources if we went with an individual financial planner versus if we worked with an advisor at a larger firm? Mm. Great question. Yeah, I where just, do you want to start? It sounds like this this question. They've already got a couple things figured out, so I think we want might have, might want to backtrack just a little to kind yeah. of if someone's thinking the same thing, um, start from the beginning. And if you're going to decide to work with a financial planner, when is the right time to do so, and what should you look for? Sure. But do you have any initial thoughts on that, or do you want to kind of jump right in? Yeah, no, I, um, I'm I'm like doing a mini cheer in my in my head because they said they want to work with a CFP who's a registered investment advisory firm. So why don't we break down quickly what their options are so that people in, in like out there understand? Yeah. Sound well, fair? That sounds super fair. So, so this, why don't we just start with um, CFP versus not a CFP? Mm-hmm. CFP stands for Certified Financial Planner, as you know. And I think the biggest thing when you're working with an advisor, not the biggest thing, but one of the things you might want to call table stakes or you want to assume some minimum level of proficiency on the advisor's part is you want to make sure that they know what they're doing. If you're trusting this person with your money, if you're trusting this person with kind of your future financial planning, you want to have some idea that this person is is not an idiot. You want to make sure they know what they're doing to some extent. Yeah, I agree. So I would, you know, take that back. There are, okay, big step back. There are really basic securities licenses that people have to have to be in our business. Right. That the government makes us take these tests. Um, they are not robust. They really don't prove that you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. in my opinion. The CFP credential proves a, a basic level of competency. So you're, the person with the CFP credential, if they have the work experience that they need to have to obtain it, and they've actually taken the coursework and te- taken the tests to prove that they have some level of competency, they are typically far further ahead of someone who otherwise, if, if you have to look, you know, uh, 
just look at two people and understand who's further ahead, mm-hmm. it does help you get, get an understanding of a level of competency that you otherwise wouldn't know. Yeah, and I'm just looking at your bookshelf actually right now, Scott, and you've got a book on income tax planning, retirement planning, fundamentals of insurance, you have investment planning, estate planning. I mean, these are all the course books for earning your certified financial planner designation, Absolutely. which you, of course, have. Yep. And I think if you don't know those things, whether it's investments or insurance or taxes or estate planning, it's going to be very difficult to put together a comprehensive plan for someone that adequately addresses what they're looking for unless you have some uh, some proficiency in all of those areas. Agreed, agreed. Um, so yeah, I think you know a CFP is just kind of, to me, it's table stakes these days. Um, if someone, there are people who won't have it, who will have an amazing amount of experience, who've been in the business forever and can speak to com- everything competently. It's just so much harder for you to know if that person's competent walking in the door, yeah, right? It's like, an, a, you know, someone either passed the bar exam to practice law or they didn't, mm-hmm. right? Like the CFP can be um, a, one of those levels on that type of a playing field. So that's how I think of it. Um, open to interpretation. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the 19, the, the registered investment advisor. Yes. You can either work with a registered investment advisor or you can work with someone who works under a brokerage. Can you explain the difference? Yes. So there's something that's called a fiduciary in this industry. And what a fiduciary is, is it's someone that is legally required to put your best interest first. So as you're working with someone who's handling something important like your money, you're hoping that they put your best interest first. Right. Now, way back when in 1940, there was the Investment Advisor Act that required that everyone providing investment advice be a fiduciary. I mean, they must put their client's best interest first. Now, there are a large subset of advisors who, as brokers, there's kind of a, they're, they're technically salespeople, so they're not considered being in the business of giving investment advice. They're in the business of being salesmen for their brokerages. Right. So as such, they're not legally required to do what's in your best interest. And when they're not legally required to do in your, what's in your best interest, you might not be getting the best advice or the advice that you need. Yeah. I'm with you there. So, so, um, we all work on incentives, right? That's how it works. And then the, the registered investment model with the fiduciary standard is designed such that clients have to pay the registered investment advisor a fee directly, and that is how they are compensated. That should be the end of it. That yeah, should be a fee-only relationship. When you work um, with someone who's at a broker-dealer, they might you might hear the term fee based sometimes you might hear other terms but at the end of the day they work first for the company and then they work for the client there's there's two peop, two masters in that in that scenario so they may make money off of selling products to people and they may also make money off of managing assets and doing right. things like that so it's always it's just important to understand how people are getting paid yeah I, I, you just summarized it perfectly. It comes down to who are they? Who's the advisor working for? If they're a fiduciary, they are working for you because you are the one paying them a fixed, transparent fee. Hopefully, if they're a broker, they're ultimately working for the their brokerage or even for the product companies sometimes who are actually paying them. And the advice they give you is just incidental to them, right. to them making that. Um, and uh, you know, Michael Kitzes before has had had an example of this. I think it's something to the effect of, um, so. On the brokerage side of things, we get to we were you'd work under what's called the suitability standard, which means James, I would have to sell you a suit that is suitable for you, 
Um, but if I work under the fiduciary standard, I have to sell you a suit that fits you and looks good on you. <laughs> and if I have I a choice so. between two suits and one costs you less, I'm going to give you the one that costs you less. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the, the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the fact that there's never going to be no conflict of interest, but how do you eliminate those to the greatest extent possible? And I think that fiduciary advisors, fee-only advisors just have incentives that are set up to, I guess, by definition, be less, have less conflicts than brokers do. Yeah. And we'll get into that because, you know, sometimes people can say what you're getting doesn't cost anything, which is not true. Right. Um, so, (laughs) Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, cool. So they knew they wanted a CFP, um, uh, CFP credentialed professional at an RIA. And then what, but the question is like, what, what, uh, you know, one, how should they choose someone I think would be, so that's, that's a big broad swath right there, right? Mm-hmm. They want to go work for a, a, find a, a financial advisor. Um, how should they go about searching for that advisor? And then we want to remind ourselves that they're asking, should they work with an individual planner or should they go work with a bigger firm? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to go next with this? Do you want to go to the big firm or kind of individual planner? Or do you want to kind of talk about whether there are steps along the way? Should we? I mean, personally, I would start talking about like how they find someone who's the right fit for them. Yeah. Because I think that's, you know, you're probably going to be able to find individual slash larger firms that will be the right fit for a specific client. And then they can figure out who they'd prefer to work with. Mm-hmm. So I think that we, when, when people do decide that make the, to make the decision of, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out for help. Maybe I'm not sure yet that I'm going to work with someone, but I want to start just asking around to see how should I even know if I'm going to work with a financial planner? Mm-hmm. There's some questions that you should probably just start to ask each planner you speak with. Okay. And, and I think one of them is just what type of, you know, what types of clients do you work with? What types of situations are you most familiar helping people navigate? That's yeah. not to say there might just be one, but you want to make sure they've worked with people who've been in your situation before. You don't want to be their, their kind of test rat. I, honestly, I would back that up a little bit. When you start searching, so places you could search, we could put it in show notes, would be like NAPFA, it's National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. CFP board has a search criteria if you want to find a CFP advisor. Just because they're a CFP doesn't mean they work for registered investment advisors. You have to be a little careful there um, if that if this person wants to work with a registered investment advisor only. Um, and then the XY Planning Network would probably be another place to go to broad brush um, spots. But then within that, like – who are you and what are you trying to accomplish? If you're look if you're near retirement, like well then you probably want to work with an advisor who specializes in helping families transition into retirement. Right. If you're a small business owner, you probably want to work with someone who helps small business owners. If you go to a website that says they work with men, women, retirees, young professionals and small business owners and physicians, and yeah. Like just run away from them. Like <laughs> they work for everybody, so that probably means they aren't a specialist. Yeah. Right? Like Go find a specialist. And in addition, if you go to a website that says they work with millennials in tech and you're a business owner that's looking to retire, equally. I mean, they probably do great work, but that's maybe not the advisor that's for you. So finding someone that has experience navigating the transitions that you're looking to navigate, I think, is a a great starting point. I mean, what it really gets down to is do they understand your problems, right? And that's the next thing. Yeah, absolutely. And you made the great point before this is are they listening to what you're having to say and to what your specific problems or goals are? Or are they putting you into some form that, that their firm has to kind of move you along in the process and just provide more cookie cutter type solutions? Yeah. And well, here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with having processes. Processes are actually a good thing to look for because like Starbucks can make the, what is it? 
I don't know what the number is, 8,000, 80,000, something like that, permutations of all the types of coffee that they wow. can make because they have a process. But at the same time, like you don't want to be the cookie cutter that only gets to go do this one thing. Mm -hmm. If they aren't taking the time to truly get to know you and your problems and help you solve your problems, if they're just putting forth solutions that everyone gets, if that's what you really need, you could probably get a decent solution for a lesser price. Um, if you want a more nuanced solution, you're probably going to want to work with someone who takes the time to listen to you mm -hmm. um, and then help you solve your problems. Mm -hmm. and, and I want to hear kind of your thoughts on this, Scott, but I think sometimes just a simple question of uh, how can you help me or how, how have you helped people like me in my situation? Because you don't know if someone's a good listener sometimes until you've asked the right question, until they've asked you the right question. So are there any kind of tips you have for how do you know if someone's a good listener? Yeah, you know, well, <laughs> what, what, where does that come from? Honestly, if they do most of the talking, probably didn't work Not out. Not a good listener. Right? Not a good listener, yeah. If, the, if they come forth with, let me tell you how I can, all my solutions for you right away, but you haven't described your problems yet, I, I, I would be hesitant. Yeah. Right? If instead they're asking you, what brings you here today? Anything urgent. And they listen, and they keep asking things like anything else. You know, what in three years from now... We're sitting in this room and we're talking about what's happened over the last three years. What's had to have happened for you to feel like it's been a success? Mm -hmm. like if people are taking the time to ask those types of questions, you're probably in the in a heading in the right direction. Yeah. So if they're making it more about you and less about them, you know, you're probably on the right track. Absolutely, because yeah. our job as advisors is to be the guide for our clients. It's yeah. not to be the hero and tell them what to do, right? It's to understand what's truly important to them, and only once we understand that is it time for us to start bringing solutions forward. Yeah, yeah, agreed. What about compensation? If you're, if you're looking out to reach out to a financial planner, how do you bring up the fact of what it's going to cost? Is there kind of a way you should approach that? Yeah, just ask. Just ask. Yeah, because if, if anyone, if anyone, huh. <laughs> anyone who's who's a financial planner should be comfortable having this conversation. I would ask two questions: How do I pay you, and how else are you paid? And if you're talking to a fee-only fiduciary, the answer should be that you get paid either through a retainer or a project fee or an assets under management type fee. Those are probably the three most common. And the uh, next question question, how else are you paid, should be, I'm not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. But if someone else is, if, if what you can have, what can happen is there are all of the, there are a lot of firms called hybrids, which means that they're registered investment advisors, but they also have a brokerage component. And so sometimes they'll, um, there will be other ways people can get paid through assets or um, through commissions on insurance products and things like that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but in this instance, this particular person wants a CFP who's a, at an RIA mm -hmm. to avoid as many conflicts of interest as possible. So that's the way I'd propose it. Well, what I think that's think? the best way to, to do it just because I just, I'll use a personal example. I have a friend who works for a large insurance company mm -hmm. and I was talking about business and talking about how I'm legally set up as a fiduciary. And he said, Oh, I am too. And, and I kind of sat there and scratched my head and I went back and actually checked online the, you know, his records and how he's registered and he is registered just as a broker. It doesn't even have uh, an investment advisor registration. Yeah. And I think people think that they're fiduciaries if they believe that they're nice people and do good work for their clients. But when you actually ask them the question, how are you paid? 
it, that's that's where the proof is. If they're paid only by you, you know that they're a fiduciary, at least in their capacity of work with you. Yeah. If they're paid commissions from insurance products they're selling or mutual funds or annuities, they're they're not a fiduciary, and their compensation is coming from somewhere else, which means there's that conflict of interest there. So just asking very straightforward, how are you paid? And then the follow-up question of who else is paying you or where else are you getting paid? Totally. That helps to, to clear the air of how they're actually and I am dig- digressing for a quick moment, but I'm not trying to beat up on people who sell products like annuities or insurance or, you know, things like that. There's there, People need to do that. That's why there's a business. But you don't necessarily want the person figuring out what your solution should be, also being the person who's making money off of that solution. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between a fiduciary standard and not having a fiduciary standard. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, well, you know, let's think about this. So they also mentioned, should they go to a small individual planner or a bigger firm? What are your thoughts on that? Well, we were having this conversation before we started, and it's it's such a a personal preference decision. There's pros and cons to each, but I think the example that I said to you, that both both are great. I know incredible advisors that are with big firms, and I know incredible advisors that are running their own shop. You know, the best one I know is named James Canole. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Kidding, kidding, kidding. Um, no, kidding. I know. You think you're great. It's okay. I, I, ho- I like to think I'm at least somewhat decent. I'm way better than you. You're it's a better cool. advisor, and I'll acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it, it is preference. Now, there's, there's pros and cons. This specific question that we got that we're addressing today is, what's the difference in the services and the resources? And I think sometimes there's a, this impression that the big firms have all these resources that some of the smaller uh, individual planners might not have. And yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's necessarily the case. Um, I think maybe 10, 20 years ago, maybe it was. Agreed. But I think with the way technology is, is today and the accessibility to different resources, that's not what should be the, the guiding decision. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more on what you're saying there. Like, if 20 years ago, being with a small firm, they clearly had less resources and less capability than a larger firm. But now, like... It's an equal playing field, honestly. Right. The thing that I the thing that I would probably stress for individual planner versus a larger firm would be: Are you comfortable having uh, one person working for you? That if they got hit by a bus, you'd have to go find someone else. Mm-hmm. If you are, because maybe they're so technically savvy, or maybe they're so re- they're so great at what they do, you have such great rapport with them, it's not a problem. And then just ask them the question: Do you have a succession plan in place? What happens if you do get hit by a bus? Right. So long as you're comfortable with that, I think you're good. With the larger firms, um, you know, it's easier to move from advisor to advisor. It's also more likely that you'll move from advisor to advisor, right. I would assume. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I had this happen recently where someone came to me. Am I allowed to say company names on this podcast? Can I? Oh, let's just keep it. Keep it. Uh, we'll keep it high level. Okay. So we won't. I won't. Call okay. Names. My compliance officer, Scott. Yeah. what I can say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, had a, I, had a, I had a prospective client come to me and say, hey, we're with one of these large firms. And what happened was they had an advisor that they really loved and they worked together for several years. And then that advisor was so good that they got promoted into being more of a manager and less of an advisor. Yeah. And, and that wasn't the first time that had, that had happened. And that's nothing, that's not bad, but as we were talking about, that's just corporate structure. And yeah. if you find someone that you really connect with and click with and is a really good advisor at one of these larger firms, chances are they may not be your advisor forever. They may mm-hmm. move up to manage and train other advisors, and there may be a little bit more turnover into who you're working with, which, again, isn't necessarily bad, but you just have to recognize that's one of the that's, – that's maybe a trade-off of having a more corporate 
type firm that you're working yeah. with. You know, I think the other thing that can happen is when you get into really large firms, you um, everyone's m- can be tough. More people are generalists is what I see versus mm. you'll have smaller firms that'll really focus on a specific niche. Yeah. So like um, a friend of ours um, just focuses on women in tech. Mm. She's so busy, right? Because that's what she does. That's all she does. Um, but you know, then you'll have a larger firm where, the, yeah, they'll do women in tech, but it'll be like, you know, a team of people doing it. And it won't be the necessarily, it won't have the same feeling. Mm-hmm. So I think there's, you know, it's just up to the individual to figure out what you want. Yeah. But I think the main takeaway is there's not as much of a difference as sometimes people think that there is. Yeah. So I think that's, that's good news for people reaching out of don't feel like you're making the wrong decision by going with a big firm or by going with an individual planner. There's, there's, Amazing planners on both sides of the aisle. Yeah, and honestly, the fact that you started with a CFP who's at an RIA, who's going to be fee only, like you're already you're headed down a great path. And that, I'm not saying that everyone who's a CFP RIA who's fee only is going to be amazing because there will be you know that's just like saying that like everyone who's a doctor is an amazing doctor. Like some aren't. Mm-hmm. It happens, but more often than not, you're playing in the right space. Right. I agree. Anything else we need to be looking for to address this question? I think those are the big ones, man. All right. Very good. Well, I think that's it for now. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, man. Have a good week. You too. Thank you for listening to episode number 17 of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. And before you go anywhere, if you have not already and you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and please leave us a review. It would help more people find our podcast and we'd really like to know what you are thinking. Now, on top of that, if you have a question that you would like for Scott and myself to answer on a future episode, we would love to hear it. Head over to our website at realpersonalfinance.co. That's realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page where you can submit your own question that Scott and I will answer in a future episode. And we will notify you when that episode is released. Thanks for listening. For a list of all the the resources and show notes from today's episode, please again head over to the website, realpersonalfinance.co and search for episode number 17. We appreciate you listening and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.